This podcast was first broadcast on 92.6 FM Radio Verulam. Go to radioverulam.com to find more Environment Matters podcasts and if you enjoy what we do, to find out how you can support the station, which is run entirely by volunteers. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Environment Matters with me, Amanda Yorworth. Environment Matters is the show that brings you news on issues of sustainability in the environment from around St Albans and from further afield. Now, you must know people like this. You go for a walk or you just spend time outside with them and they just know so much. They know so much about the natural world, which I find pretty awesome because this deep, deep, Detailed knowledge is generally not something learned at school or university. There's no GCSEs in birdwatching. There's no NVQ in wildflowers. So where does this knowledge come from? Where do these people start acquiring this knowledge? And for the rest of us, perhaps with an interest in nature that we perhaps acquired during restrictions over the last year or so, how do we make our first steps to finding out more about the amazing natural world around us? So, I set out on a quest to track down some people who seem to me to know lots about wildlife and the natural world and to see if they could help enlighten us. Four local people kindly agreed to contribute to this show. Local ecologist and author Joe Gray, who recently spoke to us about his latest piece of eco-fiction. Joe was also a trustee at Highfield Park where he demonstrated his excellent knowledge by leading sessions exploring the wildlife that calls the park home. Long-time active member of Friends of Batchwood, Miles Soppit, who advises on how to manage the wood for people and wildlife, also stepped forward, as did chair of the Vair Valley Society, John Pritchard, who won the Hearts RSPB's Lockdown Birdwatch competition. And finally, someone who you'll be familiar with for her work at the Hearts and Middlesex Wildlife Trust, Heidi Carruthers, who heads up the Wilder St Albans Project, using her knowledge to help others learn about love and help wildlife in their local space. So, my first question to all four was, where did your love of nature begin? So I was I have always absolutely loved animals and I think animals specifically, um, you know, more the zoological stuff. So when I was younger, I I wanted to collect animals that I found in the garden and create own mini homes and habitats for them out of shoe boxes and things like that. I had pets galore, more pets than I think my mum could look after. And I was just absolutely fascinated by them. I was very fortunate, I think, when when I was younger, I spent a couple of years growing up in South Africa because my father had a job out there. And I think that probably instilled a lot of love for me because it's, you know, incredibly diverse, rich, natural spaces where I was just seeing cool, amazing wildlife all the time. And um, and I just loved it. I couldn't get enough of watching children's nature programs or reading animal books or whatever it was. I just always wanted to surround myself with animals and explore wildlife. Doesn't Heidi sound like a modern day version of Gerald Durrell? Her childhood sounds like Gerald Durrell's exploits in My Family and Other Animals, but perhaps in South Africa rather than in Corfu. Now, the start of Miles Soppet's love of wildlife and the first time he really started noticing the natural world really couldn't be more different. If you go right back to the, I suppose, 80s, 
when the government was was all looking pretty grim at one stage. And I decided that it would be a, a good thing if I learned to rough shoot. And I have a friend who's got some land and he let me come and collect the rabbits and things. Rough shooting is just walking around with a gun and looking for things and being observant and looking for movement and looking if anything's there. Rabbits, pigeons, occasional pheasant used to come over and, you know, that sort of thing. And for the pot, so not like formal shooting like they do down at Gorenbury. And that really got me going on looking at things. Whilst Miles's interest in nature came a little later in life, John Pritchard started his love of wildlife way back in his childhood. I can remember in the dim distant past when I would have been under five that my parents definitely thought that a bird table was a good idea and hanging up and now there's so much more variety of food available but back in the day it was peanuts in their shell which you rarely see now anyway with a piece of wire up the middle and watching a blue tit come and and, um, open up the, the peanut case and take the peanuts off and making homemade fat balls or filling up half a coconut I think uh, and watching great spotted woodpeckers come close to the kitchen window to feed on it some of the early memories I found it fascinating and so it, it was it was just something that just was built on over over time and I guess as well my grandparents were were, were rural folk and you forget but and things I didn't know at the time but my grandmother used to pick primroses and there was a chap that came by and would buy them to take to sell in the bigger town and when we went to stay with them you'd you know you'd be out across the fields picking mushrooms or uh, picking blackberries and that sort of thing even though you were only five six seven eight and they're things that stick with you and all of that would bring something and in fact my grandparents lived near a very small um, well, they call them reens in, in Gloucestershire, like small uh, ditches, streams that connected to the, the River Severn. And there used to be eels in there. And there, they had a back step that ended in this little tiny reen. And my grandfather used to shave there every morning uh, outdoors in the in the cold. But under this step lived a lived an eel. And he used to knock on the step um, and the eel would come out. And when we were when we were very small, we'd go and see your grandparents, and you'd have a roast chicken uh, Sunday lunch. And he used to take the old drumstick afterwards, hold it by the bottom of the step, tap the tap the step out, would come the eel, and the eel would tussle on this on the end of this um, chicken cooked chicken leg. And all those things build up to to little stories of natural history. And now you realise how special they were at the time. They seemed like everybody must have an eel under their step. Well, I can tell you now, John, there was no eels under our step. And sadly, due to the 95% drop in eel numbers just in the last 25 years, unfortunately, there'll be very few children who have ever even seen an eel now. Now, John was lucky enough to have such an inspiring place to visit as a child. And Joe Gray acknowledges that he was also lucky during his childhood. I guess I was, I was lucky. I know I was lucky to grow up in a part of the world where there was a lot of green space, lovely woodland. Not everyone has that. And so I was lucky. I grew up in the Y Valley area on the edge of the Forest of Dean and perhaps didn't appreciate quite how special it was when I was growing up there. Only now when I re- return back to see my parents, spend some time in the area, do I realise quite how special an area 
it is at least relative to, to some parts of Britain. And so, you know, I would go out on long walks as a, as a young child with my uncle and he was very interested in wildflowers in particular. So he, he got me going, helping me learn the names of some wildflowers. And he, he was very good, actually. So he would help me collect a whole array of things from the floor. So fallen leaves, horse chestnuts, things like that, that I would then take into my primary school. And the teacher loved me because they were able to assemble a table of things found in nature with names and that went down quite well thanks to my uncle. So having an inspiring person to fan the flames of a smouldering interest in nature wasn't just important for Joe. It sounds like Joe's uncle would have had a lot in common with Heidi's uncle. Yeah, without doubt, the main bulk of my knowledge and my enthusiasm and, you know, how I've been inspired has always been from other people. You know, other people either that I've worked with or my uncle was a really big influence because he adored wildlife so whenever he'd come over you know to my parents house you know him and I would either watch some Attenborough or we'll head to the woods or we'd just do something we were both obsessed and that was you know it was being around him and spending time with him you know was really enjoyable for me I learned a lot from him I think it's also quite important having someone that you kind of perhaps identify with as one as in a way wanting to be like when you're older you know it's it's your sort of hero person isn't it and and that kind kind of drives you on to to learn more and because you want to be like them they're your role model and I think yeah my uncle was that don't tell him it'll go to his head he was that person for me I think yeah don't worry Heidi your secret's safe with us but your uncle does sound like a really rather lovely person now Miles didn't have a family member to pass knowledge on to him instead he learned from a friend I met Paul Arnold have you read Kate Bretherton's book Remarkable Trees of St Albans. Uh, the frontispiece of that is a picture of Paul Arnold, who was my mentor. And he lived at Batchwood Cottage, which is part of the buildings that the greenkeepers have at Batchwood. But he, in turn, was a forester for the Forestry Commission and then for estates. And then he became the landscape officer for St Albans. And then he was an expert witness for tree damage to buildings. So very knowledgeable guy. And I met him at one of the reopenings after the fire at Batchwood Hall at the nightclub when it burnt out and they reopened. We got fairly drunk together and realised that we both had quite a lot in common and Paul had a lot of information that he could let me have. He taught me what I know about woodland management. He used to come out with us on Friday. So this is what you need to do. That's what you need to do. And we planted small additions to the woodland and we spread it a bit and we did did all, all sorts of stuff like that. So that sort of gave me the knowledge and, and he, he got old and he died in 2014. So he, he left me with quite a lot of, of information. <laughs> well, Paul Arnold sounds like an amazing person, doesn't he? And he obviously had a big impact on Miles. Whilst John must have learned a lot from his grandparents on their fabulous foraging trips, or whilst feeding the pet eel perhaps, he was also lucky enough to have a teacher who was keen on the natural world, and that gave him access to some really very special inspiration. Well, I I was fortunate enough at school, there was one particular school teacher who was a keen, he was quite a keen bird watcher, but he he started a natural history club and uh, used to run weekend trips. 
extracurricular trips. So we went on a fungus foray every autumn to the new forest to look at the different fungi, collect the fungi, and then try and identify them on, back at school on a Monday, let's say. And we used to go to the Slimbridge Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust to see the the wild geese and the uh, and the ducks there. And, and again, there I was I was reminded coming to this interview with you that, that there was a, t- a big tower there called the Holden Tower, which I think they've replaced with a modern one. But you could go climb to the top and look out over the grassland that ran down to the River Severn. And in the top on the top floor, they used to have a huge pair of naval binoculars, and they were mounted on a on a tripod that had casters, so you could move it round and you could look through it and see these geese. And in those days, there were several thousand white-fronted geese used to visit. I was a schoolboy with somebody else, 12 or 13, and we were looking out across the marsh at these geese. And this old chap came up to us and said, oh, you you know, in amongst those 2,000 white-fronted geese, there are a couple of lesser white-fronted geese. And we said, oh, no, he didn't know that. And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, if you look carefully, the the lesser white front's got a yellow eye ring. And and these these things are like dots on the horizon. And and also they feed faster. So rather than feeding peck peck peck, they feed peck 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 peck. So and he said, look, there's one over there, it's just like out of these two thousand geese. And then we put the binoculars on them, and sure enough, we could see them. And then it transpired that this was actually uh, Sir Peter Scott himself, the chap that founded Glimbridge. Uh, and um, yeah, he was. And, and so I you know, remember that because he, he even then he was probably only sixty, but he he, he was a seemed like an extremely old man, and he was talking to these young school lads trying to encourage them. And he he said, "Oh yes, you must come round." Um, and we went to the big picture window that they have at Slimbridge where they feed the feed the swans. So we were in the evening, we were, or later in the afternoon, winter afternoon, we went around there where they were feeding them and all these um, whooper swans or Buick swans, whatever, were underneath the window. So just little things like that all add up to history of being interested. So John built on his knowledge learning from his inspired school teacher, as well as the likes of Sir Peter Scott. For Heidi, however, volunteering was her way to find new people to learn from and expand her knowledge. When I was quite young, I think I was 14 when I started volunteering at my local safari park. And I I was a volunteer, you know, I didn't get paid for years and years. And as I got older and and did my A-levels, I did actually get a paid role. But I just, I wanted to give up my free time learning about wildlife. And then when I built up my knowledge, it was also, you know, I really enjoyed showing wildlife to other people as well, because I was just so excited by it all. Now, as Heidi said, for her, her teenage years were a time for building on her understanding of wildlife and even for starting to share her knowledge with other people. For Joe, however, the usual teenage distractions took over and it was a while before he was able to turn his attention back to nature, this time for different reasons. It only returned to the foreground when I got into my 30s. I started doing a a, a second degree by distance learning at Bangor University in forestry. And I started to think about things in in a bigger way um, and the sort of injustices in the world. And I realised that probably the greatest injustices are those being inflicted on, you know, all our more than human neighbours with whom we share the planet. It's not to say there aren't horrible things being done to humans and horrible injustices, but that, you know, that struck me as perhaps the, the biggest injustice of all. And that got me, my passion sort of, stoked up again since then I've, I've not only wanted to do things to help nature but I've wanted to learn as much as I possibly can building on what I had as a child and and sort of returning to to my studies of nature in the thir- in my 30s which isn't very easy now because my, my brain is no longer like a sponge <laughs> it is entirely like a sieve so um yeah it's a battle <laughs> 
Oh, so Joe says it's a battle to keep on learning in your adult years, but he does keep on doing it and it seems to be paying off. How about for us? How do we keep on learning about the natural world or, or even start learning about it? And how do Joe, Heidi, Miles and John keep on learning? What tips have they got for us? Well, that's all in the next show. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about the inspiration and learning journey for these four local people. And it would be great to hear about what sparked your interest in nature. Perhaps it was a lovely childhood experience in the countryside like John and Joe. Or perhaps you had a role model to follow like Heidi. Or perhaps you've come to it later in life like Miles. Do share your story. You can email me on amanda at radioverilon.com. You can message me through the Environment Matters Facebook page and you'll find me on Twitter at rv underscore environment. And thinking about the stories we've heard, if you're sharing any time at Christmas with children, why not get outside, go and collect all those bits and pieces that Joe was talking about, leaves, seed heads, berries, feathers, then go home and see what you can learn about them. Who knows, you could be starting a love of wildlife like those we've heard about today. Now, I'm taking a break next week, but Rob Pierman will be with you to share some festive cheer. I'll be back with you in the new year, but until then, I do hope that you enjoy a happy and healthy festive period. <laughs>